I yeah. think most people feel that the, the power dynamic emanate, emanates from the mentor. Actually, it's the opposite. It actually emanates Ooh. from the mentee. Because okay. the mentee is the one actually driving it. Because if I'm really about helping you to become a better you, yeah, then you need to be directing me where our conversations are going to go. Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to The Reluctant Agilist. This is going to be a very special podcast because I don't normally get to interview people that I've known for over 20 years. So Brandon Brown is here. Brandon, thank you for taking time out of your morning. No, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. And Brandon and I have known each other since freshman year of high school. Yeah, that goes back to the fall of 1983. <laughs> yes, <we're> very old. <laughs> um, and and I and I reached out to Brandon recently because there's something that's happening in my classes, um, which I'm going to talk about, and I'm hoping he can provide some clarity on it. But before we do that, Brandon, could you, for the folks who aren't familiar with you, could you talk a little bit about um, kind of your background and the work that you do? Because it's not like sure. what the audience is used to for this podcast. No. So there's a few things that I do. Um, one is that I am a trauma specialist with the uh, Temple University School of Medicine Center for Bioethics, Urban Health and Policy. There, my goals are to create trauma-informed schools in North Philadelphia, um, being Kenderton and Bethune. And then the other piece of my position is to figure out how to insert the trauma conversation uh, within the current medical pedagogy for first and second year students. In addition to that, um, I also teach uh, trauma classes with Lakeside uh, Global Institute. Um, and then my, what a lot of people know me for is they kind of refer to me as the mentoring guy. <laughs> I would have said the so, networking guy, but yeah, mentoring <laughs> works too. Yeah, so I guess for about the last maybe 25 years, um, I've been doing various types of mentoring training, um, creating mentoring programs, assessing mentoring programs. Uh, I've been running my own mentoring program uh, in West Philadelphia for young men ages 8 to 18 for the last, this is actually, I just finished my 13th year. Wow. Um, yeah. And that's in partnership with Community College of Philadelphia and Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Uh, so that's, that's been a blessing, but I, I mean, a lot of people know me from the mentoring space. Yeah. Um, I started, I got my certification through the United way, uh, here in Philadelphia. I started doing some stuff with the church mentoring network. I've sat on various advisory councils and steering committees and things of that nature. So most people know me, you know, somewhat in the mentoring or networking space. All right, cool. And I'm, that's what we're going to talk about. But before we do that, I want to ask about the trauma thing. So can you explain that a little bit? Because I just interviewed somebody recently who kind of does a lot of work with conflict mediation and first responders and stuff like that. So, Right. So this, this isn't, I would call that the extreme, on the extreme side of trauma. Okay. Right? So if we were to look at trauma, you could put trauma on a continuum. And I think because most people, when they think of trauma, they think of flood, they think of fire, you know, they think of something that's very extreme. Yeah. Um, that could have that impact. But there are other, there are over 20 forms of trauma 
um, from transgenerational trauma, meaning there might be some things that happened to your grandparents that have impacted you genetically. Like, okay. Uh, that's, that's where we get that, use that fancy word epigenetics. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you have war trauma, you have medical trauma, um, you have what they call allostatic load. And that's just simply when, you know, if you take a lot of the stressors, just the normal stress, paying bills, taking care of your kids, you know, you figure at some point in time, you literally explode. So, I mean, stress is a good thing, right? Because like healthy stress will motivate you. Right. But, but when stress becomes overwhelming, then it turns toxic. Okay. We talk about, you know, the ram the, the physical ramifications. So, um, so most people will just simply say everybody has been traumatized in some way, shape, or form, whether yeah. it's a small T, whether it's a small T, or whether it's a large T. So, for example, like you and I could have, be riding in a car on our way to New York, and we hydroplane. Yeah. Neither, neither one of us are hurt, but, you know, you decide, like, you know what? I never want to ride this route or get in this yeah. car again. And me, I'd be like, hey, I'm fine. So, you know, when you look at the, the general definition of trauma, gen- the general definition of trauma is just a moment where the person felt that it was unescapable. Okay. And then I think, when we, I think when we look at trauma, we have to realize that trauma, though a physical event, then has neurological consequences. Oh, wow. Okay. So if I had to use myself as an example, and here's something that you probably didn't know, but freshman year, I almost drowned in the, the school swimming pool. I didn't know that. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to swim. Wow. I was walking around. I was walking around, and I, I didn't know what an Olympic-sized swimming pool was. That that was so, a scary pool. I mean, <laughs> right? Even right. I could swim, so what, and I thought that pool was scary. So I almost fell, like while walking in the pool, I almost fell. Okay. So I literally I got up out of the pool, and to be honest, I've never been in a pool since. Wow. Right. Okay. However, however, I'm not afraid of the ocean. All I'm right. not afraid of riptide. I'm not afraid of jet skiing. I'm not afraid of parasailing. Now the thing is, I still can't swim. Wow! But okay. I get very, I get very anxious. Yeah. I get very um, kind of off tilt if I'm around a pool for too long. Yeah. But I, but I love the, but I love the ocean. And when you're talking about anxious, what, that's that's the physical response of the trauma show. Yeah. Okay. Well, oftentimes what 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 people need to understand is before they say something, they feel it. Yeah. So, for example, if we went through any of the emotions or any of the, the emotional states, like if you were hungry, you felt something before you were hungry. Yeah. If you if you got angry, you felt something before you got angry. So all emotions start with the sensation first. That's why we get into this whole thing around emotional in, uh, intelligence yeah. um, or mindfulness. But I think those are the extremes. I think it's just more being in tune to yourself. So that, you know, um, like if you know that certain sensations will bring a certain response, then you can kind of figure out how to mitigate those so you don't have the full blowout. Yeah. Well, would this extend to like if I get laid off or I have a a horrible work experience? Like I've got a, when I worked uh, at, at the recording studio in Philly that I worked at, 
the verbal abuse was pretty extensive to the point where by the time I left, I was like a shaking mess of a person. I could barely function. Right. Right. And then I'm pretty sure if we wanted to unpack it very lightly, if I started asking questions like, well, do you, do you think that there were times where you weren't in the workplace, but there were things that triggered you as if you were in the workplace, did you realize that you had the same responses? Yeah. So it could have been the, it could have been the tone of the individual. Um, because you know, um, of course, when we talk about triggers, it's those things that will cause some type of memory and or flashback. Yeah. But the the, the triggers come through your senses. Right. And I've had so, smells do that to me before. Right. Right. Yeah. So oftentimes, like just so that we don't always put a negative spin on anything. So usually when I have this talk about triggers, I ask people to think about Thanksgiving dinner. Okay. What types, what types of sensations, smells, and sounds do you think about when you think about Thanksgiving dinner? <laughs> I think about, as a kid, being forced to wear wool pants and eating too much, <laughs> and the room okay. was too hot, and I just wanted to go home. <laughs> All right. So, but on my side, I, rem- I, I, I remember houses that smelled just absolutely delicious, like you yeah. could actually... Like you could eat the couch because everything smells so beautiful. <laughs> um, but the, but the whole thing is that, you know, people just, and, so, and here's the thing though, sometimes people have been impacted. Okay. Yeah. But they might not know that they've been impacted. Right. But, th- but what they've done is they've created a, a, a narrative to explain that. And they get hijacked. So, that's where we get like one of the things is that's where we talk about the amygdala hijacking, but the amygdala hijacking is just something a little different. That's sort of where like you had a threat or, or you felt something like you felt that you were in danger and your brainstem literally just took over, you know, cause when you talk about the brain, when you get to the brainstem, that's just really about survival. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure yourself and many of your listeners have had a moment where, you know, like something happened. And then, like, they had a very, very, uh, like, terse response to it. Yeah. And then when they kind of got back, they were like, yo, where did that come from? (laughs) Like, like, where, like, like, what, what, like, like, some people might be like, well, what just happened? We refer to that as an an amygdala hijacking. Okay. So, surely, if you want to have another conversation about trauma... Yeah, yeah this, that, we're going to come back to that one later on, but we're going to go back to the topic. This is really interesting, though. Um, and I think it would definitely resonate with the, with the folks that listen to this. But I did. But can I say this, though? Yes. I find that there is a relationship between trauma and mentoring. Okay. Nice because, segue. Hey, you like how I helped you out there? Yeah. <laughs> so here's the, here's, Very smooth. So here's the interesting thing. Okay. Think of trauma as emotion, right? Okay. And emotion takes up space. So oftentimes it might be like a mentor might need to do very different things just to get the person to feel safe in their space. So uh, one of the biggest challenges I see is that I see people who would like the mentor, right? But the kids that, or, or the adults that are being offered it because they have kind of so much stuff with them, yeah. They can't see they can't see the opportunity gift or present that's been that that's being placed before them because their emotions are just taking up so much space. Yeah. And it could be that they've been it could have been they've been stressed with systems, 
It could be that they've had a bad experience. It could have been something that had like, think about it. Like people could be traumatized before you were, before you were verbal. Yeah. I, I mean, so it's, it's interesting, but I, I find that there to be a connection. I think if people were to apply uh, like a trauma lens to mentoring, yeah, they would real they would they would find that the ability to um, establish a relationship, uh, maintain trust and safety, and to promote a positive outlook might be a little easier. That's very impressive. I'm gonna, I'm, all right, I'm gonna come back to what that later you, on. But <laughs> what do you expect from a prep grad? Come on, I know. Um, all right, Saint so Club, class of '87. What? What? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, okay, so. The, the topic is mentoring, and the reason that I reached out to Brandon is because in all the CSM classes that I teach, we talk about the Scrum Master role and how sometimes you wear the hat of a mentor, sometimes you wear the hat of a coach, you're always a servant leader, sometimes you're teaching, sometimes you're facilitating. There's all these different facets of, of your personality, of your interaction that have to kind of come to the front, and I find that people get kind of twisted up between mentoring and coaching and when i say coaching i'm talking about professional coaching uh, right so you're an expert in mentoring how do you define these two things well the one thing that i would tell you is that i'm a continual student ah. um, <laughs> i i kind of laugh when people say you're gonna do well experts. on this podcast <laughs> i find that when people refer to themselves as experts they become lazy because more than likely there's been some current stuff that they don't know about yeah. Which no longer makes them by right an expert. But to answer your question, I would say, you know what? Let's go back to Greek class for a second. <laughs> I wasn't smart enough to take Greek class in high school, Brandon, but you apparently. Well, were. you know what? You know what? But you remember, you remember a story. You remember yes. a story called the Iliad, right? Yes. Latin. All right. So in the story, there was a general. We're not going to get into the names, right? Yeah. But there was a general and he was about to go to war. And he had a son. So he uh, left his son with his trusted friend. I want to say that two more times. Trusted friend, trusted friend, uh, to help his son navigate his adolescent years. Yes. Might you happen to know what the name of the friend was? Mentor? Exactly. Wow, look at that. That is the first... That is the first time that we see the word mentor uh, in in written form. Wow. So okay. I, so oftentimes, you know, when I'm asking people, when's the first time that you heard mentor, you know, they'll be like, oh, United Way or, you know, Big Brothers, Big Sisters. And I'm like, no, 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 see, no, I no, 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 Shazam no. When I was a kid, because <laughs> the guy no, that drove to Winnebago's name was mentor. He was mentor. No, I'm sorry. You have to go back to Greek mythology. Okay. So, and the reason why, the reason why I say that is because oftentimes I think people forget just the simplicity of what a mentor is. Yeah. Right. So let's just say, Dave, let's just say I'm your mentor. Okay. Right. Um, my primary function is really just to fill the gaps, like to help you figure out what your path is going to be. Okay. Not that I, not that I have, like, not that I'm guiding you. Uh, not that I'm directing you. Um, I'm not even really providing suggestions. I'm really just trying to help you in whatever space um, and place and time you feel that you want to be. 
Okay. And that, that in essence is what a mentor is. So is that like helping them see options and things like that without guiding them towards them? Exactly. Exactly. So for example, and, and I would often say like, you know, a true uh, skill that a mentor should have is active listening. Yeah. So, you know, let's just say, you know, again, you're my mentee. And you just happen to mention one day that you're in, like, you know, you think that you would like to do your own podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So a mentor, I would argue the next time they see each other would say, Hey, I remembered our conversation and you said that you want, you were interested in podcasting. Okay. Here's some, here's some information and you let me know if it's beneficial or if you would like some more. Like, as far as I'm concerned, that's what a mentor is. Okay. So, so even when I look, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say like even what I look at how I frame um, the the mentoring program. So I am currently the advisor to the Daryl L. Coates Sigma Beta Club of Philadelphia, and this okay. is through the New Sigma Chapter of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Phi Beta Sigma is one of the historic African American fraternities. It was founded January 9th, nineteen fourteen, on the campus of Howard University. The New Sigma chapter, which is the Philadelphia chapter, um, was established in 1922. Um, of all of the fraternities and sororities, the African-American fraternities and, and sororities, um, Phi Beta Sigma was actually the first to establish a national mentoring program. Okay. So in that vein, you know, um, we work with boys um, 8 to 18. But actually, in truth, initially, I was working with teenagers because believe it or not, I find teenagers easier to work with. Um, <laughs> no, I no, I find teenagers easier to work with than the youngers, the, oh, the okay. younger kids. Okay. Um, because there's more honesty. Uh, there's definitely more flexibility. Okay. Um, it, it, it's it's. I find it to be a more dynamic experience. Okay. However, however, so I did that for like eight years. And then somehow some parents realized that I was taking a, like a slight break, like I wasn't bringing in new kids. Okay. And they, they knew that my program focused on um, 8 to 18. Yeah. So I, lit- I literally had five mothers campaign the entire year asking me what I work with um, 8 to, like what I, what, uh, what I work with 8 to 12. Wow. So af- after a year of these parents, I said, you know what? You know what? Um, if, if this is what's meant to be done, then so be it. Yeah. And you know, like people wonder, like, well, what are you doing? And I say, like, I think for a lot of kids nowadays, not it doesn't matter if they have. Uh, it, it has nothing to do if they come from a single parent, or um, if they have both parents, um, or if they have same parents. It's just that sometimes kids need to be given the opportunity to figure out who they are. Okay. So. The easiest way that I explain what I do is I help the boys get their swag. Okay. You know, and for me, and for me, swag is simply defined as like I am comfortable in my skin. Okay. You know, I I am I I feel that I have sense of of pride, ownership, and belonging somewhere. Agency. And you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, think about purple alums. Like we are, we are a very dynamic, fanatic group. Yeah, but we have that, you know, we have that agency, and I just think that kids need to be rooted in something. Well, so so oh, this is a vol- this is a volunteer program that I do every week by myself. Well, not by myself, but I do every week on my own. 
Okay. I want to ask you about this and see if I can tie it back to some of the, the stuff that's going on with people in the workplace. So um, okay. you're working with these folk, these, these, these young men, you're trying to help them, you know, as you said, get comfortable in their own skin. Um, am I correct in assuming that some of that has to do with, you know, the African-American, I'm assuming they're, they're African-American. Yes, they are. Okay. They are the majority. Yeah. And part of that is finding comfort within society and all the other structures that may be appearing to work against them. Well, yes. Okay. So, um, but then I just think that, uh, so, so before we get to race, let's yeah, I, 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 that, I'm going somewhere away from no, 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 I got you, but let, let's try it this way. So yeah. I think that we have, like, I think one of the biggest challenges society have is adultism. Okay. And adultism is just this whole notion that kids are second class citizens. Yeah. Kids are to be, kids are to be seen, not heard. Um, their emotions are not validated. We don't give them empathy, which provides connection. We put, we give them sympathy, which provide, which, which causes disconnection. Yeah. You know, so oftentimes, you know, uh, a young person walks around in all of these different communities and all of these different systems feeling that their voice doesn't matter. Yeah. So, so the next thing would be, the only thing that could happen is like, well, if I don't matter, like, why should I care? Right. So, um, you know, and, and we do, well, of course, you know, I don't know if you remember the days, but I am an African-American male. So, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> totally forgot. Uh, I know. I know. Some of your listeners might be like, he speaks very well. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the other piece is that, um, I think that there's a responsibility to simply increase the awareness Yeah. that, um, people of color don't get second chances. Okay. Uh, okay. You know, like we have to be very careful. Yeah. Um, I feel comfortable saying that like, you know, if your son got caught up in the legal system, you know, there's a, there's a way out for him. Yeah. Right. Uh, if my daughter gets caught up in the legal system, it's going to take her a long way to get out. Yeah. So, and that's where we can start unpacking, you know, okay. Um, like racial bias and all that other stuff. So it, it, we can have a lot of stuff going There's on at layers the same time. That you're trying to help them navigate and cope with. Correct? Yes. Okay. So without I, I, the connection that I, I want to see if it, if it works, and it might not, is that I work with a lot of people who are coming up in technology. Um, and okay. They feel like they don't have a voice. They feel like people don't listen. They feel like they have imposter syndrome. They don't have agency. And there's a certain group of people that are just like, just walk in and take the room. What's so hard about this? Like, there's just no, no empathy for the fact that some people don't know how to get there. And part of mentoring people career-wise is helping them rise to this stuff and get a level of ease and comfort with it and understanding that, you know what? Yeah, there's 17 things standing in your way and stacked up against you. This is how we're going to find our way through it or how you might find your way through it. Right. So, um, and I'm trying, I'm trying to like, what, to, to, I'm not trying to discount the race thing. I was just trying to use it as a right. model. And I don't know if it works or not. No, no, no. But I, I think so. I, I think anything should be looked at through a prism. Okay. Right. 
So, um, and I think everybody has all different types of layers, excuse me, layers to them. And in each of those layers, there's a different level of engagement. Yeah. Okay. So I think what happens is that a lot of people want to say, well, let's just mainstream this. Right. And let's discount some of the other um, prism spectrum. But my whole thing is that you, you can't do that. Okay. Right. Because it's the whole thing. Um, then, then, well, because then you're not valuing somebody's background. Yeah. You know, like to have a conversation with me and not, you know, for me not to talk about West Philadelphia, you know, it would, would be almost a little insensitive. You know, and I think oftentimes the challenge that a lot of people have in the workplace is that like, like a person's identity for most people, I would argue, start the moment that they're hired, but they don't want to take in people's history. Right. Huh. And I okay. think people's, I think, I think people's, people's history is, is the most important part. Yeah. Where they come you from, know, where they people, went to school. And just, but then you'll be able to understand sort of how they, you know, their whole understanding of group dynamics, um, you know, perhaps their their tenacity uh, to do things in a very particular way. I, you know, I, I think if yeah, you want to learn from the you know, use of language, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, where yeah, I mean, it, I think it's everything. So, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges when trying to work with someone in the workplace is, and it's not, and, and here's and here's what I, I need to be careful about. Yeah. Right. So. A mentor is not a friend. Okay. Right. Because here's the thing. If I become your friend, it's going to be hard for you to, to get um, input or feedback from me. Okay. Okay. So I, I think we need to make that distinction that a mentor isn't a friend. Um, just that like a coach technically yeah. isn't a friend, you know, but the difference between mentoring and coaching is that coaching is very specific. Okay. Like, so like with coaching, you're coming into this with, with a particular mindset. So you could be coaching people how to dress, you know, appropriately or, you know, how to use a particular software or, you know, how to become a program manager. Like there's like there with, with coaching, you're, I would argue that you're, you're coaching with a very, very specific intent. So I could coach right. you to prepare you for a job interview or job interviews, but mm -hmm. I might mentor you through the start of your career. Boom. Okay. Now, what right. about ego or, and your, your, oh, go ahead. No, go. Ego and what? I was going to ask about ego and, and your own personal wants. So I, I always explain it in classes. Like if I'm with, with the type of stuff that I teach, if I'm there coaching an organization or a team, what I'm trying to do is leave what I want completely outside of the building. Like, I don't want to see you right. do this thing wrong over and over again, but, but if that's what you need to do and that's what you want to do and that's what you choose to do, I'm going to help you do it as best I can. If I'm mentoring, it's a lot more of my own history, my own baggage or, or the things I'm carrying around that I learned the hard way. And I'm going to be like, don't do that. That's, that's probably not a good idea. Here's some other things to consider. Um, right. Is that crossing a line from a mentoring perspective? Well, I, I think a lot of people fail to realize that there's beauty in failure. Oh, nice. Okay. All right. Because the thing is, if I, 
if I only win, how do I learn? Yeah. Okay. Right. So failure in truth becomes a very beautiful and I would almost say necessary thing to do or thing to have. Because if you break it down, now you have learning moments. Yeah. And, you know, instead of like always winning. I think sometimes what happens with people and their need to, um, to mentor, I think sometimes when people mentor, they come in with um, an impure heart. Right. Not always intentionally. No, I would, I would argue that some people do it intentionally. Okay. Think about Alex Keaton from, um, <laughs> show your age, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but remember, like, remember when they had the little brother, Alex, wanted oh my to make gosh, him a little I Alex. forgot about the little brother. Yeah. Yeah. Remember Alex wanted to make him the little, the little brother. He wanted to make him exactly like, like him. Alex. Yeah. But he didn't, he didn't care about what he thought. And oftentimes, I think sometimes when people come into these mentoring situations, they have, they already have these, the desired intent. Okay. Yeah. I, I used to work so, for a guy who would sit me down and say, listen, we're going to have a mentoring moment right now. I'm going to mentor you for a few minutes. And it was him just blowing right. ego at me and totally misreading what was going on. Um, exactly. And that's, and in, in, in most cases, that's where it becomes problematic. So you have to have a lot of self-awareness and a lot of awareness of the people around you and what's going on. Well, you have to, you have, so I would say the authentic mentor, Okay. The, he, he or she is realizing the importance of the other and not them. It has nothing to do with what they want. It, it's really about like, how, how can I make this, how can I make this individual a better person? How can I make this individual a better human? Like those are those are things that oftentimes are missed. Okay. Because when people come into a lot, of, they most people say, "I want you to do it like me," right? And even in the coaching sense, I would say that like that's the worst type of coach because it's not necessarily about doing it like me, but I'm going to try to figure out how to get you to do it the best way you can do it. Okay, so. If I say, and I'm going to try to use the language that I would be using in, in class, um, instead of make them a better human, I would like to help them um, find a path or find their own path or their own way of becoming a better human. If I was coaching, it would be, I would like to help them find the, their way to becoming whatever they want to be. So one has so, an objective in mind. The other is let's explore and see where you need to go. Right. When it, when it comes to coaching nine times out of 10, it's very specific. Okay. Right. So like, if I want to coach you, like I, I want to coach you with job interviews. I want to coach you in selling yourself. You know, I want to coach you in how you dress. Like yeah. it, it, it's very specific. But oftentimes what happens is people, um, they make it all about themselves. And then unfortunately, that's what, that's when you get very, very bad relation, uh, mentoring uh, experiences. Yeah. Okay. So what about as a mentee? What do you require of someone you're going to, like, you're going to work with? I think the only, the only ask of the mentee is to... Um, take full advantage of the opportunity. 
Okay. Ask questions. Ask questions. Make your mentor work. You know, ideally a mentor is all I can do is keep asking questions and making assumptions. Um, with what you with again, if I'm if I'm your mentor, um, I think and when we talk about the power dynamic, I yeah. think most people feel that the, the power dynamic eminent emanates from the mentor. Actually it's the opposite. It actually emanates Ooh. from the mentee. Okay. The mentee is the one actually driving it. Because if I'm really about helping you to become a better you, yeah, then you need to be directing me where our conversations are going to go. Wow. Okay. That's great. So like, for example, and, and so I can use this as an example. Um, you know, I, I am a pro college person. Okay. Like I think, I think everybody should go to college, but I recognize that people should like people have the propensity to go to trade yeah. or the military. Sure. So I've had many a mentee um, share with me that they wanted to go military. Yep. And I had, and it's in those moments that I had to remember that it's not about my personal wish for the, for the individual, but it's, it's about me helping them do um, the best that they can do. Wow. So, um, and that's, made, that's not you know, easy. The, time, right. You've got to like fight that. No. no. Like how old are your kids now? My daughter is 19. All right. So you're at that shift now where it's no longer can you tell her what to do, but then the question becomes like, how can I help you? I think we've been there for quite a while. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, yes. well, I'll, but I'll use myself as an example. So, yeah. you know, my daughter's 30, my daughter's 31. Okay. And I, and I started to tell her when she was younger that our relationship would start to change when she turned 18. Okay. Right. Now here's the thing. Daddy's always going to be there. Yeah. But daddy's role is going to be a little different, right? In the beginning, I can say, like, I, I need you to do this. Yeah. So if you want to talk about it, like, in, in the beginning, I can coach. Okay. Like, I can be that parent coach. Okay. Yeah. However, when you get older, it's really about, like, well, how can I help you? what is what are your plans and how can i help you with those plans how can you support yeah okay. so then you see what happens is like in, in in my scheme i go from a parent coach to a parent mentor okay and then, and then it's like a cool thing they have to come and ask you for assistance right which which sets right. it up for for you to be able to be more effective because they're actually asking for help as opposed to you pushing it at them there you go Okay. And even when I know, so I, I, I can share with you and the listeners that I, I don't, Courtney did not like being known as Brandon's daughter. <laughs> okay. She wanted her own, she wanted her own identity. Yeah. No, I just couldn't find the energy. Well, you do cast kind of a big shadow. Right. So what happened was, um, when I would introduce her as Courtney, everybody would say, oh, you're Brandon's daughter. And she would flip. Right. Yeah. So for a while, she didn't want, she didn't want help. I get that. Yeah. She needs her independence. Yeah. She, she didn't want help. So but let's fast forward. So um, 
there have been times, and, and I'm going to say it's, it hasn't only even have been till recently that she's like, can I, can I ask for help? Cause she's always wanted to do things on her own. Oh, that's but great. She's now recognize she's now recognizing that, you know, what? perhaps my father has the ability to make things happen quicker than I can. Okay. And perhaps there's nothing wrong with asking. Yeah. But that's, that's a huge step. Yeah. Like that's, that's huge. And oftentimes even like, I think sometimes people are matched, right? Yeah. But just because I'm matched doesn't mean that I'm going to find you necessary. Okay. That's good too, man. You got a lot of pearls of wisdom in this. Well, I mean, think about it. Like, like how many teachers did you sit in front well, of? I, I'm thinking about the fact that I've had a lot of mentors that have offered me things. And, and these were people that, I mean, explicitly or not, they were my mentors. And there's some that I am going to go to my grave feeling just bad about the fact that I did not see this gift as what it was when it was offered. And I, and I just wish I could go back in time and fix that and just smack myself upside the head and be like, stop being an ass. Listen to what this person has to say. So now when I have people, if I'm able to offer something and they don't take me up on it, then, you know, that's, that's the way it is. Not everybody's able to hear the thing at the same time. Right. And, and I think it takes, it takes a minute. Yeah. And all we can do is be available for them. Well, but then I also think that um, the word mentor, unfortunately, has been misused and abused. So that now people think that when you're being offered a mentor, you're saying that they're less than. Or that there's a problem. Yeah, yeah. So um, I know you've got to go to a thing, and I want to be mindful of that. If, if people want to get in touch with you, What's the best right. way for them to reach you? Uh, well, I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, my LinkedIn account, my Instagram account, my Twitter account, and my Facebook account all have the same photo. Um, <laughs> you are so a very if they type, man. <laughs> So if they typed in Brandon Brown um, on LinkedIn or any of that, they would see me in a, a gray suit. And I'm going to put the picture in the podcast show notes too, so they'll they'll be able to recognize you. Okay, if that's all right. Oh no, no, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Cool. So, you know, but I just I just think that um, we don't. I don't think we really take enough time to understand things. Okay. We just try to move. We just really just try to move things along. Yeah. Right. So you have a lot of people out there that are saying that they want to mentor, um, but they're just trying to create many means. Or, you know, there's some hidden need that they had that was never fulfilled and they're using this to fulfill it, you know. Um, but then you have some other people out there that are doing some amazing things with very little resources, but, but they know what to do. So like, for example, I've been running with this program for 13 years. Yeah. Guess what? Guess what my guess what my yearly budget is? A hundred dollars. Zero. Oh wow! I have a I have a list of uh, partners. Okay. Um, and like everything that the kids do, for the most part, uh, everywhere we go, it's already paid for. 
And and I kind of just simply say that when people notice that you're doing good things, yeah, it's easier. It's easier to get things done. Okay. Like my whole, and it's sort of like the it's sort of like the Jesuit way. Like I don't have to prove to you that I'm worthy of your time. You will see that I'm worthy of your time, and then you're going to try to come meet with me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's because it's all about being, you know, a man for others and, and living a life of service. Right. Um, well, all right. So one, one final question before, before we go, how would you suggest if people are trying to like check in with themselves and figure out if they are in the right space to mentor someone, is there something in particular you think they should be asking themselves or looking for? Why are they doing it? Okay. And what's the right answer? Or what's the wrong answer? Well, it's easier. Well, if the wrong answer, I would say it's because I feel I have something to contribute. Okay. Now, why would I think that would be the wrong answer? What's the focus of that answer? It's on you and what you want to give and what you want, right. you want to share. Yeah, it's you puffing up your own ego. Instead of just simply saying, you know what? Um, you know, I want to I, I want to create the next generation. Okay. You know, like it's um, going to be subtle for I, a lot I, of folks. I think seeing that. Yeah, but but the whole thing is like I I want to make sure um, I I want to help people become better individuals. Yeah. You know, like in there is for some that would be, they they would probably say I don't see the difference between the statements. But in others, I would hope that they would see that there's a stark difference. Yeah. Because it's really around, it's really around focus and intent. Okay. Right. Because if I would say if your intent is to make it about you, it's going to be very bad. But if your intent is to make it about them, you're yeah. going to have a very, very productive, beneficial, and mutually rewarding experience. Because the other thing that I don't think a lot of people understand is that as I have given to my mentees, my mentees have given so much more back to me. Yeah. So men, so mentoring in its most authentic state is a mutually rewarding and mutually beneficial um, practice. Yeah. And here's where the power comes that. in. And, and I know that you're trying to close out, but here's where the power thing comes in. <laughs> if real quick though, if I feel like, again, if you're my mentee, yeah. Right but I don't think you have anything to offer me. That's a lot. That's not allowing the relationship to flourish. Now, is that because the person, the, men, the mentor is not seeing the value of the mentee or there's just really nothing that that person can add because that seems no, almost selfish. They're not seeing the value. Okay. okay. Like I, 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 I can learn from an eight year old. Just like I can learn from an 18 year old. As opposed to, I can coach a millennial, but what, honestly, seriously, what are they going to teach me? Really? Exactly. But yeah. the whole thing is that they, they, they can teach you. Yeah, tons. They yeah. Teach, they, they, but oftentimes we, we, we look at people and we don't, we don't want to see their value. We just think that we're the, like, we're the important person in this relationship and everything needs to emanate from us. And that's, and, and I think if you were to peel it back, yeah, and and look at a lot of bad mentoring matches. I guarantee you, the mentor will probably say, "Oh, they never listened to me. They never, you know, like it's all about me." Yeah, and then if you went to if you went to the mentee, the mentee would say, "I don't, I don't think the person really cared about me. I think wow. the person just wanted to hear themselves talk." 
in a lot of in a lot of mentoring programs that I've assessed. There's a lot of that. That has that that has always been the challenge. And then I have to go back to the organizations and say, you know, just because somebody wants to be a mentor doesn't mean they need to be in your program. <laughs> just yes. Just because they, they want to be a mentor follow. doesn't mean they should. Yeah. 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 So I, I really caution people and say, like, and, and, and even within my fraternity, right? So I have people that I've, I've had fraternity members that have wanted to work with the kids. And I'm like, uh, you know what? I'm not really sure. Because I don't want you to do it so that it'll make you look good. Yeah. Which is a hard conversation to have. I don't think anything's hard if you know that it's honest. Okay. Why why, why should I care about your feelings if I'm being like, if that (laughs) that question offended you and all I did was uncover your hidden agenda? Yeah. That's awesome. That's very upfront. I mean, you're holding up the mirror and people don't always like looking at it. No, no, no. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. But... I mean, my whole thing is if I'm to make mentors, um, people need to understand what being a mentor is. Yeah. This was so, really great. I, well, I'm, I'm glad you, again, thank you for the opportunity. Oh, thanks um, for taking time out of your morning. Oh, yeah. No, not even a problem. Um, uh, so I'm looking forward to a future conversation. Yeah, I'm going to come back you. and bug you about trauma. Maybe we can do one in person next time I'm in town. Yeah, make that happen. Really cool. We'll uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll find a nice little Irish. Uh, we can do it in a cigar I, place if you want. Oh, you know what? I, I think I got the perfect spot. All right, I got cool. the I got the perfect spot for you. Cool. All right, man. This was great. I really appreciate this. Thank you very much. All right. No, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I and I hope your listeners got one thing. There were you many. Know, things. Not, no, no, no. Here's the thing. Like a. a all you can ask for somebody is to pick up one thing. And if they picked up one thing, then hopefully that will make them uh, a thriving or better individual. Mm-hmm.